Eagles Entertainment. With the 10th pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy. We've got a lot to get to from week nine in college football. But first, we've got scout stories where I'm joined by Eagles Director of Player Personnel, Ian Cunningham, to talk about the linebacker position and projecting those guys from college to the NFL. Really fun discussion that I learned a lot from. Hope you guys get a lot from it as well right at the top of the show. After that, we're going to transition to this week in college football as Dane Brugler and Ben Fennel once again join the show to offer our, their weekly takeaways. We'll go through the big winners from the week, some of the topical items from around the NFL draft atmosphere. We'll get into all that in Saturday scouting. After that, we've got On the Clock where Chris McPherson returns to the show once again to help us debate the top prospect on this Georgia defense, which, once again, just another decisive victory for the Bulldogs against Florida. We will get into that here in On the Clock. After that, we've got a fan mock draft here in Draft Mailbag. We'll get to that to close the show out. As always, make sure you go on to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. If you've got a question, if you've got a mock draft, if you've got rankings, the best way to reach us is to head on over to our Apple Podcast page. Not only do we help you by answering your question or breaking down your mock draft like we'll do here today, but it also helps amplify the show. It makes it more available for other people that are looking for NFL Draft Podcasts. So really appreciate everybody that takes the time to show us your support and head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us that rating. Leave us that comment. Again, we'll break down a fan mock draft right at the end of this show. That said, let's get things going here. Excited to catch up once again with Ian Cunningham in Scout Stories. Pull up a seat. It's time for Scout Stories. Well, joining us here for Scout Stories on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand, Eagles Director of Player Personnel, Ian Cunningham, to talk about the linebacker spot. Ian, thanks so much for joining us here once again. Thanks, Brian. So let's talk about linebacker. And it's this one is so fun because you have guys at di- different, te- or different teams, different schemes that look completely different. So many different body types, so many different athletic backgrounds, guys that played in the trenches, guys that played safety, overhang defender, you know, the, or pure stack backer. What is it that makes it so hard? Is it that the fact that they just come in so many shapes and sizes, uh, making that projection to the NFL? Exactly. It's really the fit. What do you what do you want for your defense and what are you asking your guys to do? And then going out there and evaluating them in college and trying to find guys that, you know, maybe we're asked to do some of the similar things and see those skill sets and those traits translate to our level. But, yeah, the game's changed as it's changing. And I think back in the day when I was first coming in, you were looking for, the you know, those three, four jack linebackers that come downhill and then. You know, your inside linebackers had to be big and fast and smart. And um, you had some pass rushers as your outside linebackers in the 34 or 43. Maybe they were they were a little bit bigger. They weren't asked to do a lot of this uh, things that we ask our guys to do in coverage now. So the game's changing. The game's evolving. And and I think the linebacker position is doing the same. And even with that evolution, you started your career in Baltimore. And I know uh, not just a linebacker, but throughout the entire defense and really, I guess, through all evaluation, it was speed, toughness, instincts, right? So uh, is that something that, I mean, at the end of the day, like you're still looking for that at the linebacker spot? No question. Those never change, right? <laughs> no matter if you're big or small, those are yeah. those are going to be the same traits that you're, you're looking for. So we still look for those things. Like I said, it's just, just now it's a it's a, a space game and you're looking for guys that may be uh, twitchier, maybe more flexible in their movement, uh, lateral redirect uh, their bend. But the instincts, the toughness, the speed, those things are always going to be there. In your mind, what is it that separates good from great uh, at the linebacker spot? 
instincts but, instincts uh, guys that can just see the see the play happen before it happens mm-hmm. i think those are that's probably for me as an evaluator um as a personnel person i just get so excited when you can see it like the guy just sees the play and knows what's going to happen mm-hmm. before it even happens uh i thought that was one of the best things that tj edwards did in college was he just has a knack for yep. just being able to see the play. I mean, for a guy to be in that defense and have 10 career interceptions at the middle linebacker position in college, that's impressive, right? And have, I think he had over 300 tackles. Um, and we're starting to see some of the same things uh, uh, on Sundays for him now. But those are the things that you kind of look for in terms of the instincts, um, you know, obviously the love of the game, the passion, the speed, the the burst. Um, I think uh, with with it being a space game now, those guys that just – well, we like to say that they're a lightning rod on tape. You just see that explosiveness and that speed that, that goes sideline to sideline and you can see him, uh, close in on a, on a ball carrier downfield. Those are, those are impressive. Has there been a piece of advice you've gotten over your career, whether it's been from uh, a linebacker coach, uh, a, a boss, a mentor, a colleague, another former, another scout with you, uh, that's kind of stuck with you at the linebacker spot when it comes to projecting that position? I think it's, um, I, I can't, pick just one person um just being being around so many good uh evaluators and personnel people um and players i mean you just i think the the best teachers are the players and being around the players that are um on your team they help us as evaluators because we get to see them day in day out and see what works and what doesn't work why good players are are good why great players are great and being around you know bar scott uh, not many people know who Jamil McLean was, but he was an undrafted free agent and he did really well. Still a kid, yeah. Uh, yep, exactly. Uh, and Ray Lewis, I mean, being around those guys and then coming here and having the chance to see Jordan Hicks and remember evaluating him in college and those types of traits. And it seemed, a lot of these guys are, they have similar um, off field traits in terms of work ethic, desire, passion for the game. Uh, and, and those things translate to our level. It kind of just gives you the the blueprint, right? In terms of, and everybody's going to look a little bit different, but at least it kind of gives sets that standard for you right. as an evaluator. Exactly. So when you get now to uh, your process and, and the evaluation, you know, you talked about how it, the the position has changed; it, it's evolved. Have there been things that you know outside of the things that you've already mentioned that has have changed in that process for you when it comes to trying to project these guys? Yeah, I was I was a lot harder on um, smaller players, smaller linebackers. Um, uh, and I think we, as the game was changing, uh, probably, you know, call it you know, six, seven, eight years ago, whatever it was, you kind of started yeah. to see it, the, the transition start. Um, but I think smaller players, those guys are playing now. I mean, mm-hmm. you see a lot of good when I say smaller, they may not be the um Six one, they may not be two hundred and thirty five pounds, um, but they play big. Um, they're fast. Uh they have the I think you mentioned that skill set from coming from safety to linebacker. Mm. You can see some of those movements. Uh where you kind of were a little bit more concerned on their ability to stack and shed, come downhill, put their face in the fan and 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 shed against the offensive lineman. You know, a lot of these guys aren't asked to do that as much anymore. So they're asked to be in the space. So those those things start to translate better for our game now. So those are the kind of things that I kind of look for now is just guys that are able to uh, run, move, redirect uh, instincts in space, be able to play all three downs, we like to say. I mean, I could just say personally, like when you started to see more of those guys that were those nickel overhang defenders that would play essentially as, a, as an extra slot player, uh, make that transition. 
I tried to seek out like former player, former players and bring them on the podcast and just talk to them about like, Hey, like, how do you, how do you read that? How, what are your, how different are your keys when you're playing that from there, as opposed to playing in the box? And they said, look, the majority, there were some that said like, yeah, it's a little bit of a concern, but others were like, it's actually harder to read it from a distance as opposed to, you know, they said, yeah, it's going to change a little bit and you're seeing from a different angle and it might happen a little bit faster uh, with more bodies around you. But it's just as difficult reading it from space as it was, uh, you know, being, and so I, I, that kind of like eased my caution a little bit. It kind of, uh, right. you know, made me worry a little bit less. Right. And I think that that goes into then at that point, it's, it's knowing that, you know, from, from talking to you, talking to those players, it's now it's about the guys that, um, you know, that it, it could be done. It just needs reps. Right. Yeah. And so now you have the guys that just, you need to put them out there. They need to see it. They need to see the, the blocking angles, they need to see how to approach blocks, you know, all those types of things. And then once they get the reps, so they should be fine. And, and we've seen guys uh, be able to make that successful transition. But Ian, uh, thanks so much for joining us once again here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, friend. So great stuff there from Ian. Always fun to catch up with him and talk through this entire draft process. One of my favorite people to talk to with the Eagles front office. That said, uh, let's get into some of the takeaways. Obviously talking through what makes it so difficult to scout linebackers and project them, all the different shapes and sizes. It's honestly, it's very similar to the conversation we had with Anthony Patch recently about the safety spot and how you have to understand the roles and what guys are asked to do and how that projects to your defense. Same kind of thing uh, with the, the the linebacker position. And I also love uh, just kind of hitting Ian with the speed, toughness, instincts aspect of this. And what's something that we talk about all the time in the show is understanding who the evaluators are in every building and what are their priorities. So if you're someone who likes to do mock drafts or likes to try and match player fits with team fits and team needs, you have to understand what teams are looking for, not only what they do schematically, but what do they seem to prioritize from a trait standpoint? And in Baltimore, that has been we've we've talked with Phil Savage, who was there previously working under Ozzie Newsom, and you know, they have that, obviously they've got an outstanding branch, an outstanding tree of evaluators that have come from that. A lot of general managers from around the NFL have cut their teeth in Baltimore, and a big thing that they lean their ha- lean their hat on is that speed, toughness, instincts, and especially at linebacker. That's something that really are our non-negotiables there. So uh, it was fun just hearing Ian talk through that process. Um, I loved hearing about his evolution on evaluating smaller linebackers, and uh, maybe he used to knock them a little bit more before, but now starting to prioritize them uh, a little bit more just because of today's game. So really good stuff there for me, and hope you guys have enjoyed not just this segment, but all of the conversations we've been having in this segment over the course of this season. We will continue doing that on a weekly basis through the rest of the college football year. That said, let's get into this what we saw this week in college football. It's time to talk with Dane Brugler in Saturday Scouting. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, let's shift our attention now to this week in college football as I welcome in Ben Fennell and Dane Brugler. Guys, uh, let's start things off draft buzz. We had a, uh, an all-star game an acceptance here. Uh, Eric Galco from the Shrine Bowl, who is on the show every single week, uh, late last week announced that Tulsa wide receiver Josh Johnson uh, would be going to the East-West Shrine Bowl. I'm sure that was exciting for Eric, the first acceptance uh, in his tenure there with the Shrine Bowl. So I'm interested to kind of get your thoughts on what Josh Johnson from Tulsa is bringing to the table. Ben, I'll come to you first. Uh, how much work have you done on him and what what is the skill set projecting to the NFL? Yeah, he's an interesting receiver. He's got kind of a slight frame at 5'11", 171. But you have to remember, he was a four-star that was highly coveted at a high school, actually an Iowa State transfer. One year at Iowa State, and then he went over to Tulsa where his dad had played. And the main thing from his junior year to his senior year, 
he's really cleaned up the drops. Had tons of drops as a, as a sophomore, tons as a junior, really cleaning them up as a senior. Just that thin frame leaves a little bit of, you know, yak ability to be desired, a little bit of contested catch stuff, but he could climb on defenders vertically. He has really good hands underneath to be a possession receiver, and he obviously had the kind of high side traits to be a four-star, you know, power five player. But now he's over at Tulsa, and I got to say, guys, just puts a little kind of special feeling in my stomach starting to hear these all-star game announcements and knowing, you know, we're finally into November and we're going to be hearing all sorts of all-star games and combine invites before you know it. It's an exciting time. Yeah, I mean, the season will be here. You know, on the back of what we talk about, bowl games very soon here uh, coming up on the show. I think Josh Johnson just going to, the, to that all-star game process, like uh, he's a guy that when he goes through one-on-ones, he's going to have a couple of those like really slick, right? He's a, a very uh, shifty athlete. His ability to get in and out of breaks is impressive. Not a precise route runner in terms of making sure that he's always in concert with the quarterback, but a uh, very shifty player. And he's got that lateral quickness uh, to create some separation. Dane, any sense on what we're talking about in terms of overall range for Josh Johnson and sure to get your thoughts on him as well. Coming into the year, it was mostly mid to late round grades uh, from NFL scouts. Uh, and, and he hasn't disappointed this season. I think he's, you know, in a lot of ways uh, played even better than what we saw last year as a junior. Uh, he's already has career best in catches and receiving yards. He put together a really strong performance in Columbus against the Buckeyes. He had eight catches, 149 yards and a touchdown. Uh, like Ben said, he's not a big guy. He, he's uh, uh, scouts have him at five ten and a half, one hundred eighty three pounds. So it just he's not doesn't have the size you're looking for. But he should run well. I, I think he should run in the in the mid four fours. I think so. Uh, yep. Yeah, and I wouldn't. I would. I don't know that I would call him fluid, but he has that start stop quickness yep. that I, I think helps you know keep defenders off schedule. And uh, you know this is kind of goes to a larger point uh, with this draft and the receivers. You look at the the senior wide receiver group this year. It is loaded with group of five guys. You've got Olave and Dawson at the top. But then after that, you've got Tolbert, uh, Jalen Tolbert at South Alabama. You've got Romeo Dubs at Nevada. Uh, Alec Pierce at Cincinnati is legit. SMU has two guys with uh, Robertson and Gray. Uh, Shakir at Boise State. Kylie at Coastal Carolina. I mean, that's what, eight guys uh, that yeah. I just named? Uh, and, and then Josh Johnson, I think, is probably right at the end of that list, trying to work his way up and, and try to jockey for position. So the all-star process is really going to be where guys can help themselves and, and you know maybe distinguish themselves as a better or worse prospect. And so uh, getting this invite for him is, is big. Yeah, I'm really excited to get the process started. But like you're saying, Dane, with that deep senior pool, particularly as you get into like the group of five and some maybe – you know, unexpected schools. I was a little surprised to see Josh Johnson as the first. I kind of thought he right. may be a 13th hour type of guy, maybe a, a last ditch guy, but to see him kind of starting the invites, I'm excited for him. I'm really excited for his opportunity. All right, well, let's keep the discussion going here with the skill positions because uh, looking at our game balls for this week, guys, all of us picked running backs, and uh, I'll kick things off here. I'm going to go with Michigan State running back Kenneth Walker. Five touchdowns in the game against Michigan. Ben, you highlighted that matchup late last week in our preview episode, talking about that Michigan front and all the guys on that side of the football and how disruptive they were. Walker comes back and responds with an outstanding performance. Uh, if he's going to be in New York at the end of the season, uh, you know, in contention for the Heisman Trophy, 
trophy, this is a game they're going to point to, or this is a performance they're going to point to. Watching Kenneth Walker, uh, this guy is a no-nonsense runner. He is really good in terms of working downhill. His play strength is outstanding. He bounces off contact, really competitive runner. Honestly, guys, going back and studying some film of him uh, just from this season, obviously watching uh, the game as well on Saturday, he kind of reminds me of what Leonard Fournette uh, has become with the Tampa Bay Bucks. Just his no-nonsense track running style. Uh, not the Leonard Fournette prospect coming out of LSU was a top-five pick, but just in terms of that that ability to be that grinder between the tackles, I think Kenneth Walker has that ability to come in and, and be that kind of performer for an NFL offense. And really quick, Fran, I didn't see the game I was working on Saturday, but I saw a lot of the highlights. And while Kenneth Walker has made a lot of defenders miss and shown some contact balance, I thought a lot of his highlights – he just broke right through the first and second level. Yeah. So what does that tell me? Somebody's blocking their butt off up front, yeah. and they have a senior veteran offensive line, whether it's center Matt yeah. Allen or right tackle A.J. R. Curry. Uh, there's some really good guys out there in Michigan State. Maybe not the sexiest guys to get excited about. Somebody's paving the trail for these kids, you know, rushing the ball, you know, Kenneth Walker. So while he does, you know, create for himself most weeks, I saw some pretty good blocking uh, against Michigan on Saturday. I like it. Uh, Dane, who, uh, who gets yours here? Yeah, Walker was outstanding, but he wasn't the only running back uh, who had five rushing scores on Saturday. Uh, BYU running back Tyler Algier ran all over Virginia. Uh, He finished with 29 carries, 266 yards, five scores. He's not necessarily a burst runner, uh, but his eyes and feet are tied together at all times. I love his decisiveness at the line of scrimmage. He pressed the hole, made timely cuts. Uh, and, And something else from that Virginia tape when I was watching it Sunday morning, he does a great job stepping up in pass pro. He knows where the pressure is coming from, and he will take out rushers. Uh, he's serviceable as a pass catcher. So this is a three-down back. He does a lot of things really well. He's just not an explosive athlete. Uh, if he declares, uh, which I, I expect him to, it's it's going to be interesting slotting him in this class. I think he can be a top 10 running back. Um, not top 10 overall, one of the top 10 running backs drafted. Uh, but he's in that mold of what the Steelers usually like at the position. You know, the James Conner, Benny Snell, Najee Harris. Stylistically, Algier is that type of back. Tough, balanced, dependable, just a, a rock-solid prospect. I like it. That's yeah. funny you say that because uh, my comp for him actually is Kalen Balazs, who's currently on the Pittsburgh Steelers. There you go. There you go. I like it. Uh, ben, uh, round us out. A, a ball carrier that mm-hmm. a little bit different body type and skill set from Walker and Algier. Well, this might end up being the Tyler Beatty Weekly Game Ball Award because I don't know how many times I've picked this kid. But Tyler Beatty, 31, 254, and two touchdowns against Vanderbilt. Another eight targets and eight receptions in the past game. 127 yards after contact running the, running the ball. And when you take a step back and look at his career, 2,000 rushing yards, 20 touchdowns. Another 1,000 receiving yards, 11 touchdowns. I mean, find me a better dual threat senior running back in this class. I don't really know where he gets picked. He may not be a day two player. He may be an early day three. I would be a little disappointed. I think he's going to be a four four player. But this kid checks a lot of boxes. He produces every week. Missouri's left a little bit to be desired in the win total. And some Saturdays, they aren't that competitive on defense. But Tyler Beatty runs for a lot of yards. And pay attention to their center. Was a Rutgers transfer, three-year starter at Rutgers. Two-year start at Missouri, 3,300 snaps played. Michael Mayetti, I believe his name is, really good player, a little undersized. But, again, these running backs, big totals, somebody's blocking for them up front. So make sure you kind of, uh, you know, pair pair the love with the running back with somebody on the O-line too. 
Well, I, I was shocked when you said that you were going to have uh, Tyler Beatty be your game ball because for certain, based off a conversation you and I had on Sunday, I thought you were going to go with who you ended up giving your one play takeaway to, and that's Kansas State defensive end Felix and DK Uzama, who had a boatload of sacks against TCU. Uh, so interested to get your thoughts on, on what you saw from Uzama uh, in that performance. I don't know if that was the Gary Patterson out of town performance there right. because uh, he just announced he was going to step away from the program. But uh, Andy DK Uzama, six sacks against TCU on Saturday. He had another three sack game against Southern Illinois. But these weren't just cleanup sacks. And I don't really have a one play, but just to highlight them all, there's a lot of power inside moves, blasting through chippers, some bend over the edge on high side rushes, too. I swear he had six sacks. And four of them were unique and different, you know. So he's a guy that I don't really know much about. I think he's only a sophomore right now, so not actually an eligible prospect. But six sacks, had to find a way to talk about him. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you. Like, was when you watch that performance, is that something where you're like, oh man, like I've got to, I've got to make sure that I watch this guy in the future, or did you oh, yeah. watch the thing and like, ah, oh, it's kind of like a one-off thing. I, you know, I don't know if this is something. No, Fran, you know he's my type. He's like six three, two fifty-five. Gave me a little bit of like a Carl Lawson vibe, where he okay, just wants okay. to go right through you type, and uh, you know he falls into games like this where they're dropping back to pass 40, 50 times, and he's gonna fall into you know three plus sacks. I like it, Dane. How about you? All right, so I actually have two because I couldn't choose between them. Um, first, Penn State safety, Jaquan Brisker. He had a really impressive hustle play in, in that loss to Ohio State. Uh, it was that long run by freshman stud Travion Henderson, who looks like a future top 15 pick. Brisker tracks him down from the opposite hash, took the perfect angle. You see speed, you see effort, tackled up the two-yard line. Uh, now, Ohio State scored two plays later, so really a moot point. But that's the type of play that's not going to go unnoticed by NFL scouts. Uh, Most safeties, they're putting it in cruise control on a play like that, not brisker. Uh, And then secondly, I've got to mention Houston's Marcus Jones. The 100-yard kickoff return, 17 seconds left uh, in the game to beat SMU. Jones now has six touchdown returns on kickoffs in his career, plus another three on punt returns. Speed and ability as a returner alone, that's going to get him drafted. Uh, but he also makes some plays on nickel uh, as a nickel on defense. So he's a smaller guy, 5'8", 185 pounds. But when you have that type of speed, you have that type of return ability, uh, this is a prospect uh, Marcus Jones and NFL, uh, NFL teams know about and draft fans need to know about. No doubt. He, I studied him a couple weeks ago. We had Eric Galco on the show, and he profiled him uh, in our scouting report series. And Jones, I mean, with that special teams ability alone, we talk about that all the time. That's an easy way. Like, all right, you know at your floor what you're getting there in terms of being a backup corner. Uh, but also, I mean, his corner tape is intriguing as well. Uh, and so I, I'm I'm very intrigued uh, by him moving forward. Uh, for me, my one play was a, a play that kind of went viral a little bit early on because it happened in some of the early on in the early slate. That was Malik Willis against UMass. 60-yard touchdown, just a strike on third and long uh, down the right hash. And that kind of speaks to the arm talent that you've got with Malik Willis. I understand the inconsistencies. Uh, People have some reservations there, have some reservations about, uh, you know, where is he from a, a processing standpoint, getting through everything? What does he have to do in that offense? All fair. But I think when you look at the arm talent, you say, all right, well, as he figures everything else out, if he can make throws like that and he can, we know how he can create athletically uh, and that's on that dynamic level. 
uh, this guy, I mean, that's why people are going to be really intrigued by him moving forward into the rest of the process. So uh, big time play from Malik, Malik Willis. If you have not seen it, make sure you go check out. Uh, it was a 60 yard throw. It was early on uh, in the game. Again, kind of went viral uh, through the draft Twitter on Saturday. Uh, let's get down to our down the road freak shows, a, a freshman or a sophomore to file away for the future. Uh, ben, I'll uh, bounce this one back to you. Uh, really fast. Syracuse has this running back, Sean Tucker, who's just been running crazy for the past two years. He's a true sophomore at 26 for 207 against Boston College last weekend, 1,200 yards on the season, 11 touchdowns. They played in nine games for him, 800-yard games. Mm. He's 5'11", 215, all sorts of breakaway juice, contact bounce. He's shifty. Sean Tucker, file it away for later. Right. Well, in that same kind of ilk as uh, Tank Bixby, a guy we've talked about plenty for the Auburn Tigers. He, he leads them in that win over Ole Miss. A lot of people are walking into that game thinking, why, why so many people think Auburn's going to beat Ole Miss? Haven't you seen what uh, the, the Rebels have done lately? And then Auburn comes out and says, yeah, like, all right, we're, we're just going to run the ball with Bixby. 23 for 140 and a touchdown. Uh, Bo Nix uh, was very efficient in this game, and, and he did make some plays. Um, but Bixby was the engine that drove that offense. And, uh, you know, his physicality downhill, just a long strider in the open field. He, he is a lot of fun to watch. Uh, we know that Bijan Robinson, probably the guy in that running back group for 2023, but Bigsby uh, is definitely going to be in the discussion as well. Uh, Dane, uh, your thoughts here on your, on your vote for this week. Yeah. And quick shout out to Baylor's defense for shutting down uh, Bijan Robinson yep. on Saturday. He, he didn't have a carry more than like nine yards and finished under 50 yards rushing. So uh, credit to the, that Baylor defense. So for my down the road freak show, uh, of course, I'm going back to Ohio State. Seem to do that every week. Uh, going with Paris Johnson, starting right guard for the Buckeyes. I expect he's going to move out to uh, tackle at some point here. 6'6", 315 pounds. Uh, but he's been terrific at guard all season, uh, especially uh, the last few games uh, here in the month of, uh, in, in the month of October. Uh, he's yet to allow a sack. He's a plus run defender, uh, run, uh, run blocker. And this is his first season as a starter. So he's still figuring things out. He's a work in progress, but you can just see how naturally talented he is. Uh, it's going to be fun to see him a year from now, just to see where his development's at. Uh, see if he's, you know, how much closer he is to that sky high potential. Yeah, he, and he's kind of similar, honestly, from a, an early career projection standpoint is the guy I know, Dane, that you want to hit on for your film room recap, a guy that you studied over the last week, and that's Georgia offensive lineman Jamari Salyer, who began his career as more of an inside guy, shifted out to left tackle uh, over the last two years, and uh, teams are kind of split in terms of where he's going to project moving forward. Interesting to kind of get your thoughts on how you view him at this point. Well, the Georgia defense gets all the credit, or all the attention, I should say. But yeah, left tackle Jamari Sellier, he's put together a really strong senior campaign. Uh, 6'3", 340 pounds, 34-inch arms. To me, he clearly has a guard body and a guard skill set. But I give him a lot of credit. He's held up nicely on the edges. Um, I, I would be shocked if he plays tackle in the NFL. I think he's going to move inside. Uh, and I think that's a natural fit. Uh, it, it really in any scheme, uh, power, uh, he can do that. You want him, uh, to get mobile, to, to pull, get out in space. He can do that. Love his physical hands in the run game. He's a tough guy to move. He can anchor down, uh, the rest of this year. I really want to see improved reset with his hands, uh, that initial sustain with him. It's got an expiration date in, in pass pro. And so he can be caught lunging and giving up his body. So I want to see him do a better job with his reset and his hand exchange and that's going to help him keep him on the field uh, once he gets to the NFL next season. 
I like it. Uh, he's, he's a guy, I think that versatility, of course, is, is really going to serve him well. He's, he's played yeah. for the 5-0 line spots, as I mentioned. So uh, that versatility, yeah, that kind of sets the floor when you're talking about with uh, Jamari Salyer. Uh, ben, uh, take us to, for a guy that's got a high floor to a player that we've discussed a lot here on this show as having a very high ceiling. Uh, talk about Central Michigan left tackle Bernard Raymond. Yeah, one of the more interesting stories among prospects in college. But football, the Austri- Austrian sensation, Bernhard Raymond at Central Michigan, their left tackle, the converted receiver, the tight end, the tackle, uh, very reminiscent of Joe Staley's conversion from tight end to tackle, also at Central Michigan. So you're hoping for that projection, obviously, in a great NFL career and a borderline <clears throat> excuse me, a Hall of Fame career. I'm just not sure he's quite there yet. And our good buddy, Dane Brugler, said he may be a fringe first-rounder. That perked my ears up, so I wanted to dig into his tape. And I left a little bit to be desired. So what I really like about this kid, obviously going from undersized, receiver, tight end, you love his balance, his athleticism, body control, really good length, the light feet, knows how to stay latched onto defenders as well, can torque and kind of play the upper wrestle with his arms, does a really good job staying latched, whether it's running the arc, whether it's redirecting the inside moves, plays a really good posture, awareness, his eyes are always up, sees blitzers, sees stunts and games, keeps his chest really clean as well with his hands. I feel like he uses his length up top exceptionally well. Now, some of my issues start from the waist down. I really think he lacks power, muscle in his lower half. I don't think he's really a people mover. I think he's still learning how to generate power and explosion from the bottom up. I have some pad level concerns, some knee pen concerns, and why he's not generating that power. Occasionally, the hands get a little wide with some hugging. And despite being a tight end, you know, a former tight end, former receiver, I kind of think he's a little average in space. I find him missing a lot of combo blocks at the second level. I wish they got him out to the perimeter a little bit more. You think you're going to get like a Brady Christensen type of prospect, but they just use Brady so much more creatively and athletically in that scheme at BYU. I just want to see Raymond on screens and maybe some more stretch runs on the backside or some pin pulls out and kick out a corner. You just don't see that. I think he's a little bit average getting off the ball, whether in the run or kicking out in his pass sets. There's a lot of kind of technique issues. I know he's been working with Paul Alexander in the offseason, and there are some technically sound aspects to him. But when it comes down to just kind of brute strength, brute strength, can you fight and survive? I don't know if he has a lot of exciting qualities that NFL scouts may say, yes, I think he's a first-round pick. Developmental? Absolutely. High upside? Absolutely. Can he turn into Joe Staley? Sure. Can he turn into, you know, Braino Giacomini? Maybe two. Or Michael Schofield? Yeah, possibly. So, you know, he's a little undersized, 6'7", 305, a little upright, a little undefined in his lower half, but he's on the right trajectory. And now it's just a matter of where does that get you drafted? Yeah, I think that's all fair. Uh, and I think and we see him a little differently, but I agree with for the most part with what you said. I think one thing we can definitely agree on, it's just nice to have tape of him against LSU and Missouri, yeah. and, you know, and really caliber of opponent that – you know, you don't always get to see when you're scouting Mac players um, or, you know, any group of five tackles. So seeing him go against SEC speed, I think that and seeing how he performed against that type of competition, I think that really helps with his evaluation. And, you know, tackles a position that these guys get overdrafted. And so I think I would agree with you that, you know, Raymond, probably more of a day two player, second round pick. 
But to see him go in the first round, I think would not be surprising because, uh, you know, what you think he can be two years from now, three years from now, uh, he has a starter skill set, just needs to need some time to work on it. Uh, And with his backstory, not really a surprise that he's not there yet. Yeah, and I went right to those two SEC games you had mentioned. I think B.J. Ojolari is probably a top 50 player next year, so I want to see that matchup. He looked apart. He wasn't overwhelmed. Obviously, he gave up a couple pressures, you know, maybe got a little loose on some high side speed rushes here and there, got some movement at time in the run game, occasionally got blown up at the point of attack, but he looked apart. And I think seeing that against top-level SEC prospects, which we all know are the best of the best in, in the nation, that's a really big litmus test. So I hope he gets an invite to an all-star game and then starts stacking those performances uh, as we head into the offseason. Well, that's why I wanted to bring up was just you know, a guy that I wrote down while watching him uh, was a player that at this stage of the pre-draft cycle for this player, he was kind of viewed in that same kind of vein. And then he goes to the senior bowl and was one of the best players in mobile. And all of a sudden became a top five pick. And I'm talking about Lane Johnson. Uh, and I think when you look at Lane, uh, Lane had that same kind of frame, uh, was very inexperienced, very green to the position, uh, was converted tight end and defensive end. Like, you know, the whole deal is got a junior college quarterback. Um, I'm not saying that Bernard Raymond is Lane Johnson, but I do. Th- I, I wonder kind of what you guys are saying. Like uh, there are definite flaws in his game. But if he goes to, if he spends, all right, he's going to get five, six weeks pre uh, Shrine Bowl or Senior Bowl, wherever he ends up going, he's going to get five, six weeks before that point. If he cleans some things up and then goes and lights it up at the All Star Game process, like is he going to catch that kind of buzz to to see his stock rise a little bit? He's an interesting player from that standpoint. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, a very very fun player. Well, put me put me down for a similar like a Brady Christensen trajectory. I think right. he's going to be a day two player yep. that you may not see on the field right away with that team. Sure. Which Brady's been uh, you know just a little bit behind the scenes right now, kind of getting ready for the NFL game. Maybe kind of a red shirt type of type of prospect his first year in the NFL. Sure. But if he keeps trending the right direction, just like you had mentioned, Joe Staley, Lane Johnson, yep. we really believe he could kind of fall into that type of player. Yep. For me, guys, I'm going to go uh, with Isaiah Likely from Coastal Carolina. Uh, six foot four, 240 pounds, converted high school receiver who was first team all sun about a year ago in Coastal Carolina. Uh, really saw that uptick uh, in their production and their effectiveness on the field. And he's only continued that this year. Just watching him, watching that offense, they're so creative with how they get him out in the space. And his athleticism really shows up. He's got the speed to threaten all three levels. Uh, and he's not just a pass catcher. That's the thing is that he could be a three down player thanks to his, his effort effort as a blocker and they do a lot of different things to get him out on the move and get him out in the second level all the different option runs they get really creative with him in the run game I don't know if he's a uh, put his hand in the dirt and let him block defensive ends every single play uh, you know or you know 30 times a game I don't know if that's necessarily Isaiah Likely's bag but I think when you look at his athleticism his upside as a, as a pass catcher I think he's got a floor as an NFL backup as like you know as that guy that could be that kind of option for an offense but He's got a floor to be a quality star, a ceiling rather, to be a quality starter. And his ability uh, to threaten all three levels, like I mentioned, he can be a really big threat after the catch. Um, he, he's a fun watch. The one thing I do like, I wish that more of the, some of the more difficult targets thrown his way, I wish that he was able to come up with a few more of those. Um, you know, But still, you know, that said, I didn't think he was necessarily bad at the catch point or anything. I just looked at Lightly, at Likely as a, uh, a really interesting high upside player. I think you guys had brought up uh, Brevin Jordan, who was in last year's class as a potential comp uh it's funny just going back through one guy that i i looked at likely and was like yeah like i could see this kind of player brevin jordan was who i comped for gerald everett uh gerald everett when he came out uh, a few years ago i could see isaiah likely following that kind of career track as well 
You know, considering, you know, I think he's an elite U tight end blocker. Yep. And when you put up that clip a couple of weeks ago, all those dominant blocks, rarely was it against defensive ends. He was exactly. climbing up to safeties, linebackers on the perimeter. And considering how much the perimeter game, screen game, receiver screen is taking over the NFL, and you're trying to hide those really proficient blockers out there, he's going to have a role in the NFL. And he may not be a traditional wide tight end, but I bet some offensive coordinator is going to kind of lick their chops saying he could be a really good weapon in the pass game and a really efficient blocker wherever we need him. Which, by the way, like we we all loved Tommy Tremble a year ago for his block. That was the majority of his blocks were the same kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. It wasn't like him blocking down on defensive ends. It was watch him as a lead blocker, get up to the second level or get up to the third level and just erase defenders. Uh, I think he can be used in those similar kind of ways. Yeah, I just went and watched actually all the four by one formations in the NFL this year. And okay. every week, 90% of them are just quick screens to number four. Yeah. And you're trying to hide good blockers in the other three, whether it's tight ends or big receivers. Call Isaiah likely whatever you want. He's 260. There's yeah. a Y, a U, an oversized, you know, receiver. I think he just covers a lot of different skill sets uh, yeah. potentially. Fran, where do you where do you stack him um, in the senior class? I mean, it's it's tough because we have different types of tight yes. ends, but it's such a loaded group that how do you how do you stack them with a Kate Otten and uh, you know Charlie Kohler and Rucker and yep. Trey McBride? These guys, where where is he a top five senior tight end for you? I, is he just I, outside? He's, he's definitely a top five senior tight end for me. I think, the, but looking at uh, the rest of those other guys, when you mentioned Rucker, and especially when you mentioned Otten, like I think Otten has just got he's got such a complete skill set, and I know that offense uh, out there for Washington hasn't been as good this year. The numbers haven't really shown up for him, but I think when you look at Otten, he's got a much more like ready-made, complete every down skill set. And he might not, he's just not as dynamic. And that's the thing. When I look at like Jeremy Rucker, like not as dynamic as likely you look at Charlie Kohler, not as dynamic as likely. Uh, so he, he's got that in his bag. It's just, you know, you might feel a little bit better about the overall games. And that ultimately that'll come down to the teams and what they're looking for and who they already have in the tight end room. And guys, when we have clumps of prospects, how do we sometimes break up those ties? Measurables, testings, a lot of that off-season stuff as well. So I think we're going to have a lot of guys kind of clumped up. And the tight ends, the obviously, I think conversation is going to be a weeble wobble. If yeah. a guy maybe doesn't run well, it's going to be like, whoa, and you're going to drop him out. Or a guy that you know jumps through the roof of the combine or tests really well or has those long arms may be what it takes to just kind of put him above a prospect or two. We're having a Brevin Jordan uh, last year. We talked about that yeah. comp. Uh, you know, with what him and, happened with him and his draft stock. Uh, so, yeah, we'll, we'll continue having those conversations, kind of stacking the board as we get a little bit closer after the season ends and our on the clock segment uh, kind of transitions, which speaking of, we're now going to go over to on the clock. And just to give our listeners a little bit of a, a refresher in terms of the scoring, uh, I currently have the lead. I've got four wins. Dane's got three. Ben's holding up the caboose with two. We'll see if he can uh, get a W here uh, and bring himself back into contention as we welcome in Chris McPherson for on the clock. On the clock. All right, guys, let's keep the show rolling here with On the Clock as we welcome in Chris McPherson and CMAC. Uh, as I teed it up at the beginning of the show, we're talking through this Georgia defense. And uh, you brought the topic up on Sunday. I'll let you uh, kick things off for us. Appreciate it. I just figure after seeing the games a little bit here and there on Saturday and all the talk and all the buzz and all the chatter about this historic Georgia defense, why not throw it to you guys? Which of these Georgia defenders? will be selected first in the 2022 NFL Draft. And Fran, I believe you have the honors to kick things off this week. 
I do have the honors this week. And I think when, you know, you look at this Georgia defense, they're obviously, they're, look, they're, they're loaded with talent, right? The scheme is outstanding with Kirby Smart and everything that they're doing. It's an extremely well-coached group. But when I look at who's going to get drafted first, I think it's a different discussion than who's the most impactful player, who's the best player on that defense right now. When you start trying to factor in uh, positional value and guys that have the profiles to potentially get, uh, you know, to rise up the board a little bit, I look at Georgia defensive lineman Trayvon Walker, who wears number 44. This is a guy who's six foot five, 275 pounds, C-Mac. And when you look at Walker and his skill set, uh, this is a guy that lines up up and down the line of scrimmage for the Bulldogs. So you'll see, if you just watch all of his highlights, there are going to be plays at defensive end. There are going to be plays at defensive tackle. And what you see for a guy who's 275 is that He's got kind of unique movement skills. He's got he's an explosive kid, whether that's coming off the ball or chasing plays in pursuit. He's really violent on contact. And again, that positional versatility is going to help him so, so much moving on to the NFL. Think about all the defenses right now that are playing with multiple fronts and you know moving their guys in and out. They're changing up their looks at all times. Having a piece like a Trayvon Walker, who you know seven, eight years ago would have been viewed as a tweener. Well, now it's like, yeah, we want this guy because he can do so many different things for our defense right now. Two and a half sacks so far this season. Uh, he's always around the line of scrimmage. He's always making plays behind in the run game. Uh, this is a guy who's impactful and also helps set up plays for others. That versatility, that athleticism, that's the kind of skill set, I think, that has that ability to, to rise up as we get closer and closer and closer to the draft. So for me, uh, this was a, a tough decision, but I ended up going with Trayvon Walker just because of that skill set and what he could be moving forward. He was a potential first round pick. Uh, Dana, I, I believe you had listed him as a, a guy that could potentially go in round one in that article you did uh, a week or so ago. I look at Walker uh, as a player to watch here moving forward, C-Mac. How much is it that he's in this Georgia defense that he's playing on the number one team in the country versus another prospect who maybe has the same skills and tool set, but isn't getting the plug or isn't getting the love because of the, uh, the talent around him. I think that's a, that's a tough argument to make because you can say that about anybody on this group. Right. And that's the thing is that when you look at this defense, you have playmakers at all three levels. And I mentioned that the scheme is so good. So they're always going to be put in position to go and make plays and just trying to isolate it. What are the skill sets that translate? Well, when I look at Walker and that versatility to line up inside, outside, and that explosiveness, that violence, that strength and power, uh, you know, this is a guy, I think that checks a lot of boxes that are going to excite a lot of people. What does he hang his hat on? Would you say his edge rushing ability is his ability to collapse the pocket from the interiors or one thing that he's better at than the other? I would say just the overall, I mean, he's a, a bull in a China shop in terms of his ability to disrupt, you know, and so that happens with his explosiveness, those heavy hands uh, and that ability to collapse. So whether he's inside or outside, I think it's just that that wrecking ball mentality that that to me was the thing that stood out most, just kind of buzzing through some of his tape. All right, Dane, number two this week. Well, I think I have the right answer here, but I do want to say I'm glad Fran brought up uh, Walker because he's he's a first-round player all day, and he just doesn't get enough credit. So uh, I'm glad Fran was able to shine a light on him. But I, I think the right answer is Jordan Davis, the nose tackle. I, I talked about him last week. I'm going back to the well because he's going to be a likely top 15 pick in April. Uh, NFL teams, they look at what uh, Vita Veo means, that Bucks defense. You look at Kenny Clark and Green Bay, I mean, two former first-round picks, what they mean for those defenses, uh, they want that interior presence, the, the guy that's going to make plays, make everyone around them better, 
Davis is doing that right now for college football's best defense. 6'6", 360 pounds. He benefits from the planet theory in scouting. Now, there's only so many humans walking the earth on this planet who have that size, can move like that. And, you know, why Davis uh, is going to be drafted so high, it's not just the natural power, but you watch his tape and you see block recognition. You see backfield vision. Uh, he understands what the offense is trying to do, and he's able to leverage blocks accordingly. So uh, he's not just some tree stump in the middle. He will redirect, mirror on the interior. Uh, he can chase down plays near the sideline. So NFL teams are always looking to get more stout and disruptive from the interior of the defensive line. And I think Davis could potentially do that. Is it similar, Dane, would you say to a Derek Brown? You know, I'm not comparing the players, but just in terms of the positional value and where he might get drafted uh, next year. That's, that's a great uh, comparison. Um, I, you know, Brown in a draft where there were other, you know, uh, key de defenders in that draft. You had Okuda and Isaiah Simmons. But Brown was a guy that you plug him in in that defensive line, and he's going to make that front four better. He's going to help the linebackers. He's also going to make plays himself. And it's the same thing with Jordan Davis. The the growth that he has had uh, between his junior year and senior year, we're seeing it on the field every Saturday. He's able to help everybody around him, but can also provide uh, some production himself on the interior. So that's uh, it's a good parallel to make. Tough one so far, Ben. Bring up the rear, but do you have the winner? Yeah, that leaves me with a couple options. It could be DK Kendrick in the secondary, Nicobe Dean at linebacker, but I'm going to go with the pass rushing menace, Adam Anderson at 6'5, 230. And C Mac, what is the first round for? Elite traits, upside, pass rush, quarterback killers. And that's what Adam Anderson is instant quarterback pressures. He's got length, explosiveness, long strides, bend. He's instant pass rush uh, production coming off the bench. That's what the first round's for. Trayvon Walker, well-rounded player, versatile player. It's not what the first round's for, well-rounded players. You want elite players with elite traits. Jordan Davis, a little bit of an early down run plugger, bit of a philosophical issue with whether you draft those guys in the front end of a, you know the draft or not. Adam Anderson is why guys like Brian Burns and Leonard Floyd go in the first round. High side traits. In this day and age, in this passing league, you want guys that can get after the quarterback. Adam Anderson may be a little unconventional, but if you want pass rush, and I know every team out there does, look at the Rams. You already have a, a you know, a Aaron Donald. Let's go trade for Von Miller. Even if you have one, go get more, 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 more disruption. Teams are going to covet an Adam Anderson because of his ability to get after the passer. And that 6'5", 230-pound frame, really exciting on third down. And whether you want to call him a Brian Burns or a Leonard Floyd or something in between, I think uh, that he's a first-round pick all day long. Uh, ben, why would you say he's unconventional? Because he doesn't play a lot of early downs. He really is a through-and-through -through pass rusher specialist. And that may keep them off the field a little bit on some early downs. But when it's third and medium, third and long, they're calling on Adam Anderson to come off the bench and go get quarterbacks. And I think it's really reflective in his career. He's got 64 QB pressures in his career, but has just played a smidge over 500 snaps. So he's a very productive player. And just in comparison to, you know, the two guys ahead of me, Trayvon Walker in his career, 42 QB pressures. Jordan Davis, four-year player. 22 QB pressures in four years, 64 for Adam Anderson, really good players in Davis and Walker, but 
But are they the front end of round one type of players that the NFL covets? I'm not so sure. I think Adam Anderson is that type of player. Great debate. Great debate here. With, with Dane, it's funny, Ben, you mentioned Dane and uh, the the Jordan Davis and that positional value. I wonder if that's changing the way defenses are, are playing in the NFL, where you're going to need someone stout to make sure you're handling the run uh, if teams are playing more of this soft shell, zone coverages, and backing up. So I, I, wonder I think if there's a reason why some of the elite nose tackles of the last 10 years, you know, the Linval Josephs and Snacks Harrisons and those types are middling, you know, kind of day three picks because that's really the value that the NFL sees in the early down run pluggers. Can Jordan Davis collapse a pocket? Sure. He's massive. He's 6'6", 350. He's a big guy. Is he going to play on third downs and sub packages when it's third and eight? I'm not so sure. And I think the consensus is out just a little bit. I really like Trayvon Walker. I think he's a three down player, well-rounded player. Does he have the high side traits? Like you asked Fran, what does he hang his hat on? Fran couldn't point to anything. He panicked. I pointed to the disruption. (laughs) (laughs) So I just get a little concerned that these two guys maybe don't have the high side traits that Adam Anderson does. And the last thing I'll say, C-Mac, just to put the cherry on top. I don't even really like Adam Anderson. But I think he's going to be the first Georgia Bulldog off the board in the first round. I'm so torn. I'm so (laughs) torn. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's a cherry on top or you just toss it in the trash. One, one or the other. Hey, here, sometimes so. you got to swallow your pride. It's not about me. No, here. It's, it's about Adam Anderson and letting oh. the viewers know who the best Georgia Bulldog prospect is. And it's Adam yep. Anderson coming off the edge twice a game and getting quarterbacks. <laughs> Jeez. Um, just kidding about his twice a game. He plays a couple more snaps than that. But, yeah. you know, facetious about his playtime. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. Take all things into consideration here. Okay. I mean, I wanted to give it to Ben, but he's like sabotaging his own argument here. He's like, say it's not the, the biggest fan. Um, at the end of the day, I, I will agree with Ben. I will go with Ben just because of the elite traits and the production. And you have to find a role. And obviously, the team that drafts him has to understand that. Hey, see, man, uh, that's the right think, pick right there. That's the right pick. It's not about you think, either. You're doing the right thing today, all right? You know, I think <laughs> I do think that the nose tackles, again, bring up Derek Brown. Those guys will have value, especially understanding how defenses are playing nowadays in the NFL. And Trail Walker sounds like a solid all-around round player who would be good in the first round. So yeah, the, the only the only three down player on the list, all right. Now C Mac, Jordan Davis will play some fullback for you on the goal line. I don't know if that changes <laughs> things a little bit. <laughs> you you got to hide Adam, Adam Anderson a little bit versus the run, but besides that, yeah, he's okay. I was going to say, Ben Ben coming off the red eye, so, you know, try, trying to win the arguments for the other guys, but uh, I, I'm very intrigued. And when you see guys, you mentioned a Brian Burns, when you see those guys have success, like the, what he's doing in Carolina right now, uh, certainly helps the cause. So, Ben, you'll, you'll get the dub on this one, and uh, we'll, we'll call it a day there. So I, I like, I like uh feisty Ben bringing the snark to the argument. So, but uh, all, all great arguments all around. And it's great that you see a defense that's so talented that there isn't one guy, you know, who clearly is the best of the bunch there, at least for the 2022 NFL draft. Maybe there's a guy down the road. I'm just kidding. It's going to be Devontae Wyatt, but if it wasn't him, maybe Adam Anderson. <laughs> a, there are a bunch of guys we could have gone with. I was interested to see who uh, I, I actually did not like having the first pick in this discussion uh, because there were a lot of ways it could have gone. But uh, C-Mac, great stuff as always. Ben, Dane, we will talk to you both uh, in the future here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. 
Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the Draft Mailbag. So great stuff there from C-Mac and from Dane. And we'll keep doing these weekly competitions with those guys uh, right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. That said, let's wrap this week's show up with our draft mailbag where we hear from CMart923, who left a five-star review with an Eagles mock draft. And he said, hi, Fran. I've been loving getting so familiar with the upcoming draft class. And I think it's time for me to share my first mock draft for the 2022 draft using the Draft Network's mock draft machine made a couple of trades, including trading back up into round one for a fourth first round pick. So let's go player by player here. First first pick, second overall, cornerback Derek Stingley from LSU. He said an immediate starter opposite Darius Slay. Yeah, Derek Stingley, uh, extremely gifted. One of the most talented corners that I've studied in recent memory. Um, I would put from a tr- pure trait standpoint, height, weight, speed, uh, the what, what he brings to the table. I would say like he's in that Marshawn Lattimore kind of tier. You know, Jalen Ramsey, uh, he was he was maybe a separate tier altogether. But I think when you look at Stingley and what he's done, he's right there uh, in terms of how you talk about corners coming from the college level. Sixth overall, defensive tackle DeMarvin Leal from Texas A&M. This he's a guy that can uh, re- potentially replace Fletcher Cox down the road and be an immediate starter. So uh, interesting there um, from Seymour. I think when you look at Leal, his usage is really interesting because he's basically been an edge player for them and he comes down and kicks inside. And I think with the amount of multiple fronts we're seeing around the NFL, and we obviously we see that here in Philadelphia, uh, a guy that has that positional versatility, they'll be pretty valued. I will be interested to see where Leal ultimately uh, places in this draft. Is he going to be a top 10? Is he more uh, to be in the back end of round one? I think you're getting a lot more debate there with Leal and his draft status. Let's get to the next one here. Another first round pick. This one, 13 overall. Purdue defensive end George Karlaftis, uh, potential replacement for Derek Barnett, who can play the Brandon Graham inside-outside role. That's from CMART. I think when you look at Karlaftis, yeah, he's got that positional flexibility as well, that he can line up in a number of different techniques and win. I really like George Karlaftis. We've talked about him almost on a weekly basis here on the show uh, with his relentless nature, his power. He's consistent with his ability to push the pocket and also very technically advanced as well. So I I look at Karlaftis as uh, one of my favorite defensive players in this draft. One more first-round pick. So four first-round picks after the trade-up. Utah linebacker Devin Lloyd, he said, immediate number one linebacker. And, yeah, that's the that's the skill set Lloyd brings to the table. He's got that ability to be a three-down player in the league. As I mentioned, he, I could see, I'd like to see him see things a little bit faster, but he's got all the tools. I mean, his explosiveness, his physicality, his ability to play in the pass game, a converted safety, so he's got some uh, experience playing from depth and playing in coverage, but then also his ferocity as a blitzer, so he could do a lot of different things for you as a defense. So uh, Devin Lloyd there rounds out the first round. Four defensive players there in round one. Keeps her going with the second round pick. Another defensive player. This time, 52 overall, Oregon safety, Verone McKinley. He listed him as an Anthony Harris replacement and an immediate starter. So that's five guys you're hoping to come in uh, in the top 52 picks to come in and uh, and be defensive starters here uh, for this unit. But I think when you look at Verone, he's got that hybrid skill set of uh, a former corner who's played in the slot. He can play from depth as a safety. He's got good ball skills. He's aggressive coming down against the run. I've been watching McKinley for the last couple of years. He's a really fun player, so I really like that one. Uh, fourth round after the trade-up, missing a third-round pick there. Fourth-round pick. Uh, 122 overall, Alec Lindstrom from Boston College. Uh, Steve Mart says an interior offensive line depth who can back up Dickerson and Sayamalo and Herbig at center with Jason Kelsey maybe in his last year. I think when you look at Alec Lindstrom, honestly, I, I think that that would be a steal. I think that this is a guy that definitely should be slotted higher in a mock draft than the fourth round. Round five, 
150 overall. Tyreek Stevenson, the corner from Miami, lists him in outside corner depth. Round six, 189, the defensive end from Ohio State. Tyreek Smith saying edge depth with Barnett and Kerrigan likely gone. And then the last pick, sixth round, 192 overall. Alabama running back Brian Robinson Jr. Big back to compliment Miles Sanders and Kenny Gainwell. I think when you look at Stevenson, Tyreek Smith, and Robinson, Tyreek Smith is the guy that intrigues me most. This is a guy I think has got starting potential. Uh, we saw a couple of really impressive rushes from him in this past game against Penn State. Uh, he can win in a number of different ways. Obviously very well coached coming from Ohio State. Larry Johnson, one of the best defensive line coaches in the league. So he uses his hands really well. He's always gaining ground. Uh, can get a little bit bigger and stronger. Uh, so I'd like to see a little bit more power uh, from his game. But I think that he's got some technical proficiency to him uh, that really, really intrigues me. So, uh, yeah, I would say Tyreek Smith from those last three uh, really uh, is the one that stands out. So, Seamart, great mock draft. Obviously, a very defensive heavy uh, in this mock draft example. If, again, if you've got mock drafts out there that you want us to break down, send it over to us on our Apple podcast page, and we will always break it down right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast. That said, we'll be back later this week. Myself, we'll hear from Ben Fennel. We'll have Ross Tucker and Eric Galco. We'll have another great guest. Make sure you tune in right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand.